Hello, everyone. This is Wally Sherold of Fine Just Fine on SyncBook Radio. It's been a while. Tonight, we have a new episode, a joint episode, in fact, of Always Record and Fine Just Fine, featuring a conversation with a relatively new acquaintance of mine, Mr. James Tunney. James Tunney is an Irish barrister and former academic now living in Sweden and focusing on creative endeavors, including writing and painting. His written work includes several published books such as Human Entrance to Transhumanism, Machine Merger and the End of Humanity, Tech Bondage, Slavery of the Human Spirit, Empire of Scientism, The Dispiriting Conspiracy and Inevitable Tyranny of Scientocracy, The Mystery of the Trapped Light, Mystical Thoughts in the Dark Age of Scientism, and The Mystical Accord, Sutras to Suit Our Times, Lines for Spiritual Evolution. He has also published two novels entitled Blue Lies September and Ireland, I Don't Recognize Who She Is. Meanwhile, his painting in the expressionist style has been exhibited extensively throughout Europe for over 10 years. And you can find out more about his writing and his painting at his website, www.jamestunney.com. That's T-U-N-N-E-Y. I discovered James on the excellent YouTube channel, New Thinking Aloud, hosted by prolific interviewer and parapsychologist Dr. Jeffrey Mishlove. James has done over 20 interviews, I think, with Dr. Mishlove, and they are all superb. I highly recommend them. His talk on the work of William Blake was the first I watched, and I was immediately struck by James's similarities in interests and outlook with a dear friend and regular fixture here on SyncBook Radio, Znor. I reached out to James and sent him a copy of Znor's book, Death Sweat of the Cluster, published by our very own SyncBook Press, and before long, James and I were emailing frequently until we finally had a chance to speak live. And so, without further ado, let's now switch over to that talk. Well, hello, James. How are you doing? Great to see you. I'm looking forward to the conversation, Wally, and thanks for the invitation. It's my pleasure. It's great to finally have a face-to-face after yes, yeah. after emailing for several months now. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's a number of themes that we've kind of uh, tossed around, um, yes. either as just uh, intentionally for this today's discussion, but also since we've been speaking via email. Um and as I mentioned to you in the, just before a day or two ago, you had suggested yes. uh, automaticity. Is that what I'm saying? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. 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 And um, which is one of those obscure, uh, I guess, derivatives of automation or automatic <laughs> yes. automaticity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it struck me as a great uh, kind of unifying theme. Um, that it has a very universal application, I think, in terms of, yeah, we could go many directions with this. Yeah, um, we'll see where it goes. So. Yeah, but I guess just to open things up, uh, what what specific areas uh, interest you as regards automaticity that you wanted? Okay, to well, uh, I, I was. It was funny that when we communicated first, I'd, I'd been thinking about music and and, mm-hmm. and starting off again looking at music in a kind of intellectual way as opposed to as opposed to a consumer of music or just enjoying and trying to to look at some of the deeper concepts and as i was doing that uh we established communication so i was interested in in someone like your your knowledge about these domains and in particular what 
brought me back to look at this was thinking about certain types of music and particularly electronic music and okay. music, say, for example, Brian Eno and, mm -hmm. and what, what the use of the machine in music and what that tells us. And I was thinking in particular about a chap called Billy McKenzie, who was in the Associates. He was from Dundee and I used to live in Dundee. So we, when I, when I heard some of his interviews, it began to, to register with me on a number of different levels. And he was quite influential for people like U2 and that his mm -hmm. voice was very distinctive. And they explored, they explored machine element. So it brought me back to a way of explaining what's happening in the broader issues that I'm concerned about, about the relationship between man and or woman and machine, humans and machine. Mm. And in particular, the extent or where the relationship changes, at what stage the machine takes over. And of course, with, with Eno, he's setting up systems uh, that produce themselves or, or that begin by chance to produce uh, sounds according to certain uh, ideas. And in particular, the idea of the loop was very significant because I, I believe this is a this is a, a metaphor, a motif that explains a lot of things about how our society is being organized in relation to feedback loops, in relation to propaganda, in relation to uh, something coming around again in a different form until something changes. It's there in cybernetics. It's there in the idea, uh, the idea of people like Stafford Beer uh, about feedback and and how you might, for example, uh, in Chile in uh, in the time of the Salvador Allende, they had actually a truckers' dispute, which which they used or the government in response to the supply chain uh, problem began to use telex machines in accordance with an idea of a planned economy and began to use a kind of loops of information in, in, in the system. But uh, looking at the idea of automaticity, it's, it's a word that describes the function of the heart. So it's a natural phenomenon. Mm -hmm. uh, it's associated with resonance. It's associated with timing. It's associated with a kind of musicality and a rhythm, if you like. Um, and then... Uh, associated with that is the idea of that which is automatic uh, and that which is is, is machine-like. And, and, and the automatic uh, has the same root in, in, in the sense of self-driven or, or whatever. So in, in the context of self-driving cars and, and things like that, you're in the loop or you're out of the loop. It's, 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 it's an important concept. Mm. So, as a, I, I'm trying to explain in, in, in the work I'm doing, or give some metaphors to help people to analyze a, a, a diverse range of complex situations. And in simple terms, I believe that we're becoming automatons. That the, as Colin Wilson or Wilson talked about the robot inside us. Uh, or as Philip K. Dick talked about the android, that we could be androids or behave like androids, uh, that we're becoming more and more automatic because we're interacting with the machines and because that's the way what the trajectory is. The trajectory is to move from uh, organic, biological, free beings towards a mechanized, controlled being. And I think in, in some senses... I'm, as I'm looking back at these musicians, a lot of them are very troubled musicians. A lot of the musicians involved in the electronic kind of era seem to be kind of prophets of doom in some way. There's a, there's a lot of angst 
anomie, kind of alienation. And to, in many senses, they're appearing to me like canaries in the coal mine, mm -hmm. that they were appreciating that they could use this technology, but that there was a deep price to pay for it. So uh, there's a conflict between automaticity in a mechanical sense as it applies to human, and it, there's a conflict with autonomy. And this is the big conflict of our time, the balance between the two of them. And in that, I think there's, uh, I think there's some ideas associated with music, associated with electronic music, and what that experience is about that has something to say or we can learn lessons from. So I think that's the starting point. Yeah, wow, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I'm just trying to pick a particular thread to, to, to jump on. Um, but I mean, <clears throat> I think that there is something very inherently machine-like in, in the vocabulary of music itself. The, the repetition is, in, is, is fundamental to rhythm, right? So, yeah. and, and this is, you know, uh, not only in the performance, but in the, in the practice, in the, in the, even in the kind of pedagogical sense of music, you, you, mm. you, by rote, right. You just, you continue to, I mean, I've spent hours just, you know, shedding as we call it, going to the woodshed, right. To, to really, mm. to really, um, memorize or just to sit there. Once you, once you tap into the muscle memory kind of, uh, nice aspect of it it's you just can sit down and force yourself okay i need to just repeat this x number of times and that muscle memory will grow interesting yeah, yeah right yeah. so mm -hmm. uh but this also applies to you know language acquisition and even physical development so and many that's different the concepts they use correct yeah, yeah right yeah. so uh, but what's interesting about the emergence of electronic music is and, and there was some you know this is this is very uh um it's a cyclical speaking of loops uh, mm -hmm. in the history of music each new innovation is always kind of criticized by the by the uh, previous generation mm -hmm. you know in my way of I, I always like to say what one generation considers noise the following generation considers a new part of their musical vocabulary and an excellent uh, little uh, or I think a very effective little kind of anecdote of how this is true that's relevant to our generation is the record scratching noise uh, in one context to one generation meant the party's over. Like this is a standard film sound effect, right? Where yes. yeah, it's yeah. like, Ooh, it's an awkward moment in the party yeah. or something. And then the following generation, that was the party's just getting started with, you know, chicka, chicka, chicka with the DJ and, yes, then, and yeah, then boom. Yeah. And then the, the beat drops and the here we go. Version of, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it completely yeah. inverts itself. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, with the dawn of electronic music, a lot of people criticized it for it's, you know, the humanity was being sucked out of it because suddenly mm. you had this, uh, mach machine kind of precision of repetition that was truly, ac I mean, truly precise. I mean, in the, in, in the, in, in the sense of the, in the precise sense of the word precise. Mm. Um, and this is something we deal with in my, in my work all, often where you discover um, the difference between human precision and machine precision and digital technology allows us to uh, examine a, a human performance. And actually 
even a very, very well-trained like uh, drummer, for example, the timekeeper, mm-hmm. you can, you can analyze their performance and still you will always find these slight imperfections versus mm-hmm. a drum machine. It is the duration in between every beat mm-hmm. is always 500 milliseconds to the, to the decimal point. Right. So, um, and, and interestingly enough, this is a, this is a, um, an aspect of music that has really caught on and it seems to trigger this kind of almost autonomic response from from society in terms Mm -hmm. of just kind of the hypnotic effect Mm -hmm. that this like raves and, and this electronic music is almost, Mm -hmm. uh, defined a whole culture. Um, Mm -hmm. and I believe that, you know, there's a, we, we know in the, in the, in the, in the industry that 133 beats per minute is this magical tempo. It's a that, shame. It's not 137. <laughs> I know. Right. <laughs> Don't get me started on the 137. We'll come back before, to that. Before you go on, cause you're right. I just, uh, just to come back on some of those issues. Um, it's interesting. And I know, you know, about the Irish composer uh, field. And, and, mm-hmm. and if you think about why Ireland didn't have more composers, it's because it didn't have a, industrial infrastructure right. that would lead that would give orchestration because to put right. a symphony orchestra together you need a, an industrial apparatus there's a lot of uh, a lot of production involved in the materials to to, to sure. provide that infrastructure sure uh, and ireland didn't have it which is why there was an emphasis on more uh, limited musical uh, and, and traditional musical um, instruments to some extent, and 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 focusing on the fiddle and violin and and mm-hmm. and, and stringed instruments, harp and uh, etc. So orchestration is another is another word, and and that's also relevant as well when we're talking about because I'm very interested in the extent to which music has been used as or hijacked as a propaganda tool or a tool mm-hmm. of the propaganda model of society. Yes. which involves orchestration and, and also in the context of the recent health crisis and this and this kind of orchestration of people dancing, you know, in the context of a public health policy that was kind of coordinated, you begin to, you, you begin to see a different, a deeper dimension of orchestration, which seems to go against some of the, the individualized notions of of, uh, of music and that. Now, I'm I'm not I'm not taking a very uh, strong view against the one thing that I'm using a, as, mm-hmm. as a tool to learn about the thing. And, and in fact, um, Philip K. Dick liked Eno's music, and he listened to it, uh, as you, you know, uh, as as a way to come into a different state. So I, I, I don't have any fixed view. I can understand that those those effects are there. And then you have the binaural beats and other techniques that can be mm-hmm. used to, to alter brain patterns and resonance. So, so I, I don't have any uh, problem with that, but the, the, uh, and it is interesting the way you explain the, about music itself and that automaticity, of course, which in psychological terms are those descriptions of those skills that we learn and imbue into the, the nervous system and, and train those uh, those uh, things, so um, it's it's it, 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 I, I don't have a fixed view about, but I, I I have had those conversations with my daughters where I say all those songs are the same. I can't distinguish them anymore, and I, I didn't understand about the 
the Amen loop and, and that's, uh, that loop that was used from 1963, which is, is, is used in a huge percentage, a seven second loop mm. uh, from that so, uh, song in 1963, which is, is used as a basis in, 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 in rap music. Oh, okay. yeah. So, 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 so yeah, we are here in the same piece of music. So sure. I'm, I'm not wrong in that. It's kind of no. remarkable. It really is remarkable. Um, and associated with that, of course, is the question of, well, what's the, what's the impact of that? And to, can that beat or whatever put you into it or entrain your mind? And I, I'm also interested in the disappearance of certain music. For example, I've, I have been interested in, in, in folk music and in, in, in a, the old-fashioned Irish singing. Oh yeah. Now you don't hear it a lot because no. it doesn't fit in. It doesn't fit into the context, and that brings the mind to a different place. So the element when it becomes when electronic music becomes like this, a kind of sewing machine, or the sound of a factory, uh, right. and it's it, it's less like the sound of calling to animals, like cooling in the Swedish terms, where they they sing to the to the animals to bring them in the animal. Now I, I do this out of the back garden. Now I'm not a renowned singer, but <laughs> the deer, the deer do listen, listen. To oh, sure. Oh yeah. It's amazing. And I've been interested in that phenomenon. Um, and, but there's a difference between that and, and the, the mechanistic repetitive element. And I do understand uh, the, the point you made very well about the inherent kind of automatic nature of music and the, mm -hmm. the code and the symbols and the, and, and code. It, it is a sure. kind of precursor of subsequent code. So, yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, that's all, uh, it's all relevant. Um, I think uh, just to your point, uh, I also, you know, uh, <clears throat> wish Irish, traditional, more traditional Irish music was, was not fading away. I've had very, Every time I hear it, I'm reminded. It's it's one of those. I mean, there's a handful of uh, music or any art form really that I stumble upon it, and it's one of those things where I try to make this mental note. I was like, I need to look into this more because it's so wonderful, um, especially the just some traditional iris singing. But to your point about the lack of a kind of of um, composers in Ireland, while it's true that yeah, your your um, reasoning about the lack of industrialization, which leads to the conditions where orchestras form these more sophisticated, mm -hmm. I mean, orchestras are kind of like corporations in a sense, really mm -hmm. think about yes. it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, but uh, th th you could find this in many different uh, fine arts or just cultural um, uh, developments, but I've found that in Irish music there, the, the energy and the interest and the drive for expression is still is channeled into just a different way. Um, yes, yeah, the yeah, same the same amount of energy that would that would yeah. result in an orchestral tradition. Is well, just well, funny, funny on that point. Mm -hmm. The traditional form, if you see in the pub and the session, is they yes. come around and they form a circle, a yes. loop, <laughs> uh, which right. one can join. It's not a closed loop. That's a bit no. of a difference. No, you can't walk into your symphony orchestra and say, "Here I am. I'm going to join in." But you right. could do that. So it, it, that's the difference between a, a closed loop and an open loop, that's although true. they're used in different <laughs> different yes. terms. But uh, uh, not being closed and being closed, I think it's a key distinction. And so there's a, there's a one is fixed and one is fluid. 
And mm-hmm. the community-based idea is another. It's a circle, but in a, a wider circle. So right. there is a, a context to it. Sorry. Right. And in order for that to thrive, there has to be a kind of uh, uh, unspoken expectation of a shared repertoire, right? There's Yes, this. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. Um, maybe a similar current that occurred in the United States was the evolution of jazz, which is, um, I mean, it's obviously on, on the surface, sonically, it's very different. But uh, you've got a, these small groups that are open loops, you know, generally like jam sessions, mm. yes, yeah, musicians, yeah, exactly, yeah. late nights in, in bars mm. and in clubs. Yeah, yeah. And they all have these uh, um, knowledge of the great American songbook, right? Which are these old mm. show, the Tin Pan Alley songs from the 1920s mm. and 30s. Um, uh, but then they, they, like Charlie Parker would take an old, uh, tin, you know, classic uh, show tune from Broadway and just completely and to just keep the chord changes and the structure. But then he would create a much more sophisticated melody on top of it. Um, yeah. 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 But just Sorry, to, yeah. I just wanted to, to uh, final, uh, finalize one point I wanted to make. I mean, what I'm always struck by in tr- a lot of traditional Irish music is the sophistication of the melodic and rhythmic uh, material. It's very, it reminds me, I mean, it sounds very different, but it's similar in its sophistication to a lot of Balkan folk music in terms of the very sophisticated uh, melodic um, contours, like the, sh- just the, the shape of how these things go, um, especially to an outsider. Like, I mean, even though I have Irish uh, <laughs> in my, in you know, Five years ago, my beard was a little more red, <laughs> but uh, I do yeah. have some Irish and I'm, I'm a kind of a, a UK mutt, I discovered. But um, but yeah, I mean, uh, to an outsider, it's it's very striking. It's very uh, so you have to I had I always have to listen to it. I'm like, this is this in common time, you know, because and I really have to I have to uh, carefully listen to it just to find the beat. Um, uh, you know, with, even from, with a well-trained ear, I have to kind of really focus. Um, and it's even, it's just in four, four, which is very, you know, compared to these Balkan folk traditions, which are in very irregular, uh, meters. Um, but Irish music sounds like it's in an irregular meter, but it's not, it's because of the way that they're superimposing, uh, very sophisticated rhythmic structures on top of a very simple, Hmm. beat pattern is, is it, is it pentaton- the pentatonic scale they, they they refer to when they're talking is that is that um sometimes it's pentatonic which is a five yeah, note pentatonic. scale but actually a lot of um uh irish traditional irish music is in uh one of the modes which is like lydian or mixolydian yeah so okay. i'm not sure if you're familiar with what those are um but uh, i have, can't say it i have read it's a much simpler concept than than most people mm-hmm make it out to be. If you mm. take your your basic major scale, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do, and if you just offset that and start and yeah. go from uh, from re, if you start singing on re, I'm not going to attempt to, it's harder to sing it yeah. <laughs> that that uh, with that much facility. Um, but it's basically taking that scale and then just offsetting it. So it's starting on the third note of that scale. Gotcha. And then, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah. uh the major scale is actually called the Ionian mode. Hmm. And then yeah. if you start, if you offset okay. by one Dorian, Phrygian, yeah. yeah. like a bit wrong. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. no, I, I recognize. 
Yeah, I recognize some of the things, and I, and I recognize that in jazz music they adopted classical tunes and did them oh, a yes. bit wrong and turned them into exactly. they transmuted them. So it was a type of alchemy in relation to the sound. Absolutely. That, yeah. Yeah. And um, the uh, uh, yeah, there's two elements about Irish music that, well, two or three elements that that that, that strike me. Uh, in relation to the technique and that, uh, again, I, I haven't paid attention to that because I'm interested in, for me personally, I've been interested in the effect, but I can appreciate the complexity mm -hmm. uh, of the combination of particular sounds. And it reflects the complexity in old Irish poetry because so, uh -huh. they had a very dense, a very dense play on words and, uh, and it was it was it was multi-layered mm -hmm. and in a sentence it could sound really hard going but that was necessary to put layer upon layer yeah. uh, in it um so that was one element the second element is that now it could be a nostalgic sense but the the music uh, aimed at a different part of the for me for the soul in in, in its in, in, in what it was seeking to do. And mm -hmm. uh, that may be reflected in, uh, and even in, in the way certain, certain composers on the continent were influenced by music from, from that, uh, Sibelius, I think, and, and others who were influenced by that sense behind the music, a, a kind of appeal to the heart. Someone, people would call it kind of nostalgic, even sentimental, whatever, but sure. there's, there's an element that, the, of a sense that the music is for a kind of healing, understanding, comprehend, comprehension uh, context in the community. Uh, it plays a role oh, uh, in, in that sense. Well, um, I mean, and then when, you, sorry to finish, uh, yeah. on the, if looking at the US context, of course you have the, the bluegrass music yeah. and the, the connection with that. And people like Woody Guthrie and that, and even Dylan, when he talks about the influence of traditional music and that the rebellious sense. Sure. Um, at a certain stage as well, you had that politicization of the music. I mean, it was it was never not political in one sense. Yeah. But you had different layers of uh, that came on that altered folk tunes into in, into political propaganda, which is interesting yes. as well. Yes. Uh, and uh, it it led to. It led to its survival in a different form, but when the political circumstance changed, the music was kind of abandoned because it was politicized or has been in recent times, has been slightly put on the back burner because the sentiment or the words or the context that was layered onto the music was, I suppose, deemed inappropriate. Or, uh, yes. Uh, well, it seems that music, when it's employed in that way, when, it, when it's imbued with a political meaning, it's very hard to shed that afterwards. Yes, yeah, and it's something, yeah. and, you know, music is an effective propaganda tool because it is, um, it's easy to communicate. I mean, it's easy to, you know, um, it's like the, the, the way that the modern news media works, they repeat the same soundbite until everyone just starts loop. parodying it. Right? Loop. The loop, yeah. right. <laughs> and that's, that's the computer loop as well. Right. You know, so, so really that, that, that's the, the fear okay, you don't take it now, we'll get back to you, we'll come back to you again, we'll come back. And it's more powerful than your mind. Sorry, yeah, just... No, no, uh, it's fine. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think uh, music is, is, is a kind of, uh, it's a communal mode of communication. It's something that every, it's like that scene in um, uh, uh, Amadeus where he's pitching his opera to the, to the emperor 
he's like, guess how many I've got, how many different people I have singing at the same time. You know, he's like 20 is finally how he's like, you know, the king or uh, the emperor's like three, four. He's like more and more and more. He's like, only music can do this. And it's true. It's like, because of the, you know, the medium itself demands this kind of harmonic uh, structure and to, for these things to work in concert in harmony, right. You can yeah. have, you can have threads of, uh, of, uh, literary content, uh, over, you know, intertwining. And it's just, it's just, a, it creates a context in which lots of meaning can be conveyed very efficiently. And, and there's a positive, out, uh, application of this, which is, you know, obviously I would assume is the intent and with which most people use it, but then there's always the, the flip of that. Right. Mm. Um, and as far as the healing part, I mean, uh, it's really interesting. I think I mentioned to you, uh, how much I was influenced by, uh, another American iconoclast, Frank Zappa, who yeah. was, and yeah, he yeah. had, he had some very interesting theories, uh, dabbling in, in lots of, you know, philosophical and kind of, kind of radical, uh, heterodox thinking. Um, and he had his, he's like, when you think about it, the eardrum is, um, or the, the skin itself is essentially an extension of the eardrum. It's touch is the, is really, he was like, touch is not a separate sense. It's just a different type of hearing. Because when you hear, you're actually, or, or you could say the opposite, you could flip it and say hearing is just another form of touch because it's, 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 it's just resonance on a, on a skin, quite literally, right? A a timpani drum or the tympanic, the tympanic membrane Mm. is just skin, right? So, Mm. uh, and he had theories about the music as a healing, as a medical healing uh uh service or or technology where which is actually real there's a um there are various forms forms of uh medical techniques where they literally use sound mm. uh for people who have like gallstones or kidney stones there's a mm. there's a um a medical technique called lithotripsy which is they submerge the body in water and they bombard it with sound waves to literally cr- to kind of be like the opera singer crushing the, the glass. Right. Yeah. If, so that, so there's a certain resonant frequency that all matter mm. possesses. And if, and with enough, uh, uh, um, bombardment by that same frequency, it will cause it to crush. Right. So mm. his theory yes, was, that, you know, you find, I mean, this is how a microwave works, right. It, you you turn it on and it's bombarding the food you've put in there uh, with microwaves that are the resonant frequency of water. So the water starts to vibrate very fast yes, and creates yeah, friction yeah. and heat, right? So it's a this is a very real, you know, um, scientifically. Uh, and one three seven has come up in that context again. I was reading and some of the scientific well, kind of fine tuning the universe. Oh, One, the fine three, structure, seven, the fine yeah, structure yeah, constant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's it's and, everywhere. <laughs> yeah, but just a few issues before I forget. Yeah. Um, another interesting bit that has been unexplored from the legends in the Irish context is, is hmm. two come to mind. Just just in in relation to where the music comes from, the source of the music. Now, this this is an important point for me because okay. uh, in, 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 for me uh, in, a, in a mystical sense 
um, there has to be in most of the best music an idea that they they plucked it from the air. It came. It was given to them. The muses gave it to them. They didn't they didn't compose it in a cognitive left brain sense. It wasn't a mathematical structure. It was something that was taken. It was something that was that, that intervened. And, and the story, for example, is many stories of the fiddler that learned the tune from the fairies, or they they heard the fairy music in the air and they 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 noted it down or they took mm-hmm. it down. And this is a recurrent story, which I think has been underestimated. I, I think there is a, a deeper truth behind that sense of hearing, if you like, the music of the spheres or whatever, but it was particularly associated uh, with the fairies in Ireland. Another interesting source, and again, I don't know what, to what extent there's truth in this, but uh, the, there was always stories that the, the fishermen, they had the leather boats, they turned them upside down, and with that underneath they could hear the whales singing in the sea and they could capture in some way the sound of the whales when they were passing now i don't know if that's like a resonant uh, chamber it was formed. like a resonant chamber yeah yeah that, that, that's the thing and and from there they got some of the tunes for the fiddles now i don't know if that is true but it, it's an odd story to not be true i mean there's more there, there, there's something in the story and both both of them point to uh, a, a, a desire to comprehend other beings and to interact with other beings through music, I suppose, like close encounters of the third kind. Uh-huh. And, and thinking about, for example, if you compare that with John C. Lilly and his experiments with the dolphins, now people think, oh, it's great, you're trying to think, or you're trying to communicate with animals and all that. But if you read the, about the experiments, it wasn't pretty. I mean, it was. It, it comes across as very cruel and, and mm. some of the experiments they did and the implants. And this is the same allegations made in relation to the monkeys now and Neuralink. That, but there, is, there are precedents, other precedents of finding a common way to communicate with, with beings that were different from humans true yeah. music and I think that that are uh, unexplored and associate with that well not perhaps associate but associate with what you said of co- is the uh, the prevalence of quartz uh, around Irish prehistoric sites and various theories about why quartz was so uh, prevalent and why and of course we know about the significance of quartz and how important that is but there's also the possibility that people understood its effects in relation to piezoluminescence and, and, and piezoelectricity and, and how they could uh, create light and sound through, uh, through, through deformation of, of certain stones and also how they might have been able to use some of those, those elements uh, associated with sounds, as has been argued in relation to the idea of ancient technologies that, that, that we have lost. So yeah. um, th- th- there are possibilities, I think, that haven't really been explored about uh, more what would have been taken over as scientific uh, yeah. kind of applications. In, in right. Oh, uh, wow. This is, uh, <laughs> no, this is very much, uh, yeah. you know, in line with, or I would say intersects in many ways with a lot of things that I'm interested in. Um, and also just, but there's a lot of new things here that are new to me. Um, mm. uh, I'm, re- I'm, I'm recalling your talk on the secret Commonwealth 
Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and um, uh, it's, it's funny, just a very quick side note. <laughs> I experienced when I was listening to your, that episode, I had a, a, a very fun synchronicity. I was in Texas over the holidays. I think you and I were communicating right around. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, the day before um, I was listening to this, I had, or I was, I had it in my, in my car or a rental car, um, or I was on my phone and the, and I had, I had hooked up my phone to the car and it would just, every time I would get in it, it would automatically just pick up whatever was playing on my phone. Um, automatically. What do you know? Uh, and the day before I was with my sister and her family and gosh, she was like, we were talking about books and stuff like that. And she kept saying, gosh, what is this? I'm trying to remember something. There's a story, there's a book I want to recommend to you. It's by, uh, Philip Pullman. I think you're really going to love it. <laughs> and, and but I cannot remember the name of it. Mm. And then I, I get in my car, you know, less than 24 hours later yeah. on, and this episode I'm listening to resumes. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. within a few seconds, you're talking about Philip Pullman and the golden compass. So it was, uh, yeah. it was, or, and or yeah. the fact that it was, uh, that he borrowed this, the title and, the next time I saw my sister, I'm like, you got to understand. You're not going to believe this synchronicity I had. <laughs> yeah, oh, so anyway. Uh, yeah. But so to your point, I mean, um, I, I agree that like, it's not an explored area uh, with regards to music as much. I feel like there have been some areas or I mean, it, it, it brings to mind um other other art forms where the kind of the imaginal realm or 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 immateria in in terms of like the work of Alan Moore uh, mm. talking about or idea space I think he likes to call mm. it where it's this this notion of um, like you're suggesting like the, where did the music come from is it is it something that is communicated uh, from an external source from an from an otherworldly or, or a, a uh, even a, a, a non-human intelligent entity of some kind uh, and music or music is maybe even a, an interface through with, yes. with the yeah. human race and yeah. this secret Commonwealth, if you will, or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, 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 to me that, that strikes me as very true. I always wonder when I first had my own personal kind of experiences of this internal musical stream of consciousness, uh, for Ooh, me, yeah, right. It was, uh, it, it was literally just this kind of yeah. stream in my own mind That's of it, music yeah. <laughs> that was going, that was the first kind of inclination I had that I'm, I, I can create music. And for me at the time, I mean, I got into music as, you know, playing rock and roll and heavy metal guitar as a teenager. Mm -hmm. And I, I developed some decent technical facility. And so I was the guy in my, high school band that played the solos, you know, the, cause I could shred as they called it, you know, and I could play fast and up high. And that was the first thing I started hearing in my head are these perfect, you know, just these, like these brilliant solos that like mm -hmm. just endless, you know, they just kept going. I'm like, God, these are perfect. They're like these gym, you know? Uh, and that was the first thing that just popped in my head. And then it evolved into obviously a lot more, but, I always wondered, I'm like, what is the source of this? Where is this coming from? And it's, it's this notion of, um, uh, are you familiar with Jonathan Black? Um, he wrote a book. Uh, oh, the secret. Uh, yeah, The Secret, secret History, History of the, of the world. world. Yeah. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh -huh. 
he's got a great quote that I love from that. He's like, and there was once a time when instead of people thinking it was thoughts peopling, hmm. right? So yes, this cool. idea yeah, that, yeah. that there was uh, this, this other um, dimension hmm. from which that was sending us signals. Right. And so that could be music. That could be uh, hmm. any form uh, of expressive idea or content. Hmm. Um but yeah, and, and just to circle back to my, my points about the sophistication of some of the Irish folk melodies, I mean, they, yeah. when you think about it, these things are, I mean, they're constant filigree. It's just this very rapid, yeah. there's ornamentation yeah. always. It's, I mean, it's normally we think of ornamentation as this occasional thing that is, that ornaments are a, a more mm-hmm. regular uh, pattern. Whereas a lot of Irish folk melodies is, is that type of content all the time. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's like where this is almost otherworldly. It's so uh, irregular um, in in contrast to the kind of mechanistic nature of electronic Mm -hmm. music. It's very organic. It's very unpredictable. It's very chaotic in a way. Mm. Um, Well, as you say that, uh, sorry, the, the, You remind me of the Book of Kells, of course. Yeah, sure. It has that. It has that interlocking, integrated thing. But it's it's not very regular. The, the regularity thing was not so important. So it's more, right. it's more like an element of, of Taoism, or in in the mm. Japanese context, things that are not quite right. But there's, you know, it, it, they don't they don't seek that regularity. I think that in that sense, they reflect something asymmetrical about the natural world or that's part of it and, and desire right. not to be too. Um, and as you were saying that, I was thinking, I, I've been very interested in birds, of course, are the great spirit, spiritual yes. uh, dimension, the connection with the upper air. And uh, for example, when my grandmother died, a bird came into the house, that experience, you know, so you know that something's happening when it, when it, when it flies into the house. Sure. And when my mother died, uh, the, a bird came into the house and, the, mm. you know, so, I mean, it's a bit, it's a bit coincidental. So, uh, was it your maternal grandmother? Sorry? Was it your maternal mm-hmm. grandmother? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, um, I mean, it, it's a bit, it's a bit too much of a coincidence. So, yeah. I mean, it's, and then when you begin to think about that, well, what does that mean? So, so I, I've, and I remember uh, my father, he would have been into the same rebel songs and the traditional songs. And his, I remember my, my grandmother singing these songs, you know, uh, the usual stuff you come from an Irish Republican background. But, but I also remember him saying, stop. Stop listening to that. Listen to the birds singing. You know, he was transfixed. He yes. was a kind of tough man, but he's transfixed by this thrush singing on the, and, and he really was. He was kind of hypnotic, like he was hypnotized by the sound. And he, it kind of made me, it made me pay attention to, to, to what was going on. It wasn't something that seemed of great significance to, to me at the time. Um, and uh, walking, a, a bird that has been relevant to me is the woodpecker. Uh, hmm. Why? I don't know. I know there's a Native American connection and I have been over uh, to, the, to to visit Native American people and, and the, the woodpecker comes up there as a significant figure. It, it kind of, you begin to think, well, well, what particular element about the bird? But when I was going to the wood the last couple of days, I've heard more woodpeckers than I've, I've ever heard. I mean, I've hmm. often gone, uh, but I've heard an awful lot of woodpeckers. And this time I was thinking about the 
the beat of the the woodpecker on the you know the, and, and trying to look for the pattern and it was making me a, a character was forming in my head who was uh, I write a, a few novels but a character was forming who, who who was taking messages from the woodpecker's code if you like yeah. and, and, and from the signals um but uh the again this the the if if the birds are omens if we think of the origin of augury you know uh, most people think of the entrail of birds but they were more interested in murmurations and birds in flight as well uh, and paying attention to, to to the significance of that um that the you know about the influence of certain bird song in classical music and mainstream yeah. classical music and it was certainly there in, uh, must have been there in Irish mu- uh, music as well, mm-hmm. that representation and recurrence and, and uh, um, but, um, sorry for that. No, no, no. The mind as you were saying that. Yeah, yeah no, that's all very relevant. I mean, um, as far as, again, like this, I mean, it's a much more direct, I guess, identifiable source in terms of mm-hmm. your original question of, you know, what's, where is this music coming from? Um, and just before I forget, uh, have you from, are you ever heard of a, um, French composer named Olivier Messiaen? I've heard of him, but I wouldn't be able to, that's a bit, the name rings a bell. I can't uh, play. So he is a, uh, um, he's a very important figure of 20th century, um, classical music. Um, and, the story that you hear about him most often in musical history 101 is about a piece of his called the quartet for the end of time, which was composed and premiered in a concentration camp. Um, okay. Yeah. That, that, uh, that ring that's, yeah. that's the anecdote that is most often tied with him. But mm. uh, beyond that, first of all, he was uh, a very serious mystic himself, kind of a mm. Catholic mysticism. If, mm. if such, if that even such a thing exists, but um, uh what in the in more uh, specialized areas he's he's regarded as this, the the bird song composer so okay. he's quite famous for taking trips into the forest and uh transcribing in real time yeah i have heard of now and that may have been where yes. i saw a parallel some stage yeah. uh and yeah. he ha- and and then he would uh incorporate um uh the bird song into his music from his transcriptions mm-hmm. Um, more than like the, some of the more kind of popularized, uh, kind of, um, you know, uh, I would say they've been simplified in terms of more well-known classical music. The bird song has been kind of simplified for, but this was, this was very, you know, uh, much in the modern tradition of this very complex, uh, transcription. And so he has the, it's called the catalog diozwa. I don't know how to pronounce this, but it's catalog of birds. Yes. Yeah. Which is a, a work of his, where yeah. it's it's I think it's for piano and orchestra, um, yeah. and yeah, you no, really you yeah. really hear it. It's extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I, that that comes back to me now. Do you say I, I do recall that um, you reminded me of two things there? Mm. You reminded me of Philip K. Dick and his short story Rugs. Okay, I haven't the, read that one. Yeah, it's where it, it, it was the first one I think he got published. It's oh. where the, 
the dog, the dogs. I think that was the first one. The dog, or the first one he's paid for. No, he got one published when he was uh, in school. Right. Well. I'm thinking of his first novel, which was like the Solar Lottery yeah. or something. Yeah, short story. Sorry. Okay. Um, short story uh, where the dog. It's about the dogs barking at the garbage man. Okay. And they're trying really. The the question is whether the the implication is that dogs are trying to warn their owners about these aliens who are. And they're mm. called rugs. So, so oh right, it's, okay, it's, got it. Uh, yeah, it's an but, uh, um, in the park, right? There's yeah. a deeper, there's, there's a deeper kind of uh, sense of uh, there's a kind of logic in it, you know, the subjective lo- oh, yeah. truth in it, <laughs> which, no, which makes sense. But again, it goes, it goes back to the 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 the, the sound. The other thing I, w- I was going to say is that um, I, I did. Uh, uh, w- one of the only times I missed a lecture that I, that I just forgot. Well, I don't know if I forgot about it, but that I, that I missed a lecture that that, that uh, I shouldn't have, uh, and it was the only time uh, in, in the all the years I was in the university. Uh, I had a good excuse. I was drinking till about seven o'clock in the morning with <laughs> the Dubliners, the Irish band. They were oh, wow. they were playing up there, and so it went on quite late. They weren't all there in the end. Um, and I had I had similar experience with some of the, the Furies and that, and other bands that are quite oh, well cool. known. And some of these, some of these guys, what they, their musical interest never comes out in the in in the popular context because there's 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 a, there's a kind of a playlist that they do that people want, but right. they have a lot of other interests in uh, music. Like uh, I remember one of them sang a song for me and the Furies about a man working on a slave ship now mm. you're not going to be you're not going to be hearing that in, in no. any it was a kind of remarkable about a guy finding himself in you know it was a remarkable piece of history a kind of uh one that you you wouldn't want to be hearing about but it it, it, it was uh it, it kind of it would slip through the net you yeah. know but it was a, it was a, it was a, a song that was in the canon at one time that was there and it's a piece of a social history because a lot a lot of those ballads had something relevant in that that, that tells you something um but i remember when barney mckenna was the banjo player with the dubliners and and he was reckoned to be one of the i I wouldn't be able to judge whether how good he was but he was reckoned to be one of the greatest banjo players ever now that might have been an irish prejudice but but again i think it was a serious one and i remember they, they they left him on 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 the stage in this little hall and said, now Barney is going to play a tune for you. So Barney was in a, an armchair with a, with a pint of Guinness, and he, he didn't move. And it looked like he was incapable of doing anything, the, 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 the banjo player. He's about, I think, about 70, 60, 70 at the time. So he was very, very slow. He he, he looked like he, he had a, well, he had had a few drinks. He looked like he wasn't going to be able to perform. So there was a long pause where we're all waiting to see what happens. And and then he kind of switches when he, when he starts off with the with the, the banjo and he starts off slowly. It, it, it was, he was getting into a mood. He starts off slowly and he builds up until he's playing at the greatest speed where you can't play, you, you can't keep up with it. It was a right. brilliant, a brilliant, uh, uh, use uh, of the instrument <laughs> it sure. was kind of deceptive lead into it but um, that uh, I was very interested in 
in some of these guys that have made their the living out of music and traveled the world and played played at the the, the biggest places and uh, and their stories as well. There sure. was another there was another chap, uh, Dermot O'Brien, who's who also wrote songs and he wrote songs in the Irish language. He he was mainly an accordion player mm-hmm. and some of the songs that he got again they captured that. that that little vein of gold that's that's there, that's the feeling, uh, and, and the Irish language seems to have uh, lent itself to that uh, expression. There's something in the sound, and there's an, also another interesting thing about the Irish language. Uh, in comparison with, or in contradistinction to the Germanic languages, it's more circular in its construction. It's more roundabout. The language itself. You don't address topics as directly as you would do in Swedish or you kind of go around, you go around, you give the person space to answer. They can jump on the thing or they don't have to do it. Gives the, and, and that may also, I wonder, does that inform the way you write songs for that language? That, that, that's another area oh, that has yeah. interested me. Absolutely. I mean, so I, I'm wondering if you can expand on that, even like the the circularity of of the Irish language, the, 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 the syntax, the, the, or, or uh, it's 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 more about the uh, construction of sentences and word order and mm-hmm. uh, a a a kind of third person element about it in a way about how you how you present a a case so instead of asking you a very direct question in sweden they're very direct straight to the point but the question would have to be formulated and there's a cultural element as well but it does come from the uh from the grammatical structure and the nature of the language itself uh which puts you into a a a, i don't know if it's a subjunctive or it's 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 a a form which is not direct it's in it's indirect and and it it approaches in an oblique way the topic that's that's mm-hmm. uh, that's um, involved, and it kind of it, it generalizes the particular. I suppose is the best way uh, mm. I can put it. If, if I can think, of, if, if I can think of a specific, a good specific example, I will. There's none coming to me at the moment, but yeah, it, it, it's throughout the language, and it's it was there in the culture, which 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 is changing, um, but. That in imprinted and imprinted on the way that that Irish people spoke English, and and uh-huh. uh, so so that was also an, an influence on uh, the yeah the way the way Irish people uh, spoke English, um, and the yeah compared with with Swedish is very Germanic, very direct. Uh, they don't beat around the bush. They get you know there's something refreshing about that as well. Sure, so, but sometimes sometimes. You don't, you don't want to be put on the spot and it, you know you, you, it's interesting i mean it, it actually it brings to mind several things um is it as as opposed to being direct is it something that uh like it, it meanders does it or is it redundant or is it does it does it, does it get a does it kind of dance around it's very it's, in, it's it's very in yeah it, it's very indirect it, it, it's it's very uh it, it usual in its constructions um, it would, it would, the best way I, I can, I can explain it is it would leave you space to decide whether you wanted to answer the question or not, in particular in relation to questions. Uh, it was, uh, oh, wow. uh, that, that, that's my, my interpretation of it. And I think that it influenced the way, 
um, the way people used to used to converse. It was kind of I think there was a cultural element too. There must that be. It was. It was. Sorry. I was just saying there must be some cultural element. Like yeah, yeah, but about about um, yeah, not putting pressure on people to um, to respond. But 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 it was in it was in there was a distance in the language itself uh, um, uh, that was part of that. Um, but, yeah, no, that's fascinating. Uh, uh, um, I've always, uh, or not always, but I, I definitely am very interested in these types of. Uh, cultural underpinnings that influ- that that seem to um, have this deep influence mm-hmm. on a particular language, and mm-hmm. it's almost like they're it's cultural, it's geographic. Mm-hmm. You know, there. Um, my wife is from Italy, and um, our daughter is growing up bilingual, and it's very fascinating to observe the ways in which she is uh, kind of. In- integrating Italian grammar into her English. Hmm. Um, for example, she often will say um, she mixes up the, the, the English terms for the senses, like smell and taste and hearing, because in Italian, it's just senza. It's sensore. Uh, you know, it's, it's sense. Uh, like Frank Zappa. Yeah. <laughs> A different way of thinking about it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, well, she, she, um, uh, that's right. No, sorry. That took a second to get. <laughs> now I get it. Um, no, because I was thinking about when you were yeah. saying that. And I was thinking about but that's the that's the problem with empiricism. Empiricism works if you say the senses, but then you say, "Hold on a second. What senses are you talking about?" And if you have right. an expanded sense of senses, yes. Well, then empiricism is something totally different. Uh, apologize. What you were no, that no, you're no. Talking great. that's Italian, great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But so you know, I'm always cognizant of that in terms of. Uh, uh, and like reading with her as she's learning English, which is phonetically absurd <laughs> when you think about it, yeah, yeah. and which makes which makes for great poetry and wordplay. Uh, but um, uh, Italian is one of the most phonetically consistent and uh, like like their phone- their letters their vowels sound the same always. You know, mm. unlike in English where. Of yeah. each vowel has in, can sound like any other vowel, and she struggles with that. Um, but uh, and I always noticed like why is why are Germanic languages so heavy in consonant? These very noisy uh, phonemes like you know yeah. versus Italian and and Spanish yeah. and the Romance languages are very vowel heavy. Yeah, right. Where this is why. Um, this is this is an observation I just made from my first job. I remember I told you I worked at this um, educational toy company, and part mm-hmm. of my job was we were teaching phonemes mm-hmm. to children, and so we would record these voiceover artists, you know, recording like a is ah and all that stuff, and go through the whole thing. And I would literally have to edit the audio of thousands of these files, mm-hmm. and you and over time your muscle memory starts yeah. to notice the patterns of the waveforms. So um, a, a vowel is a very regular waveform because it's pitch. It's ha. Ah. When you sing, you're singing. Mm. You can't sing a, a, a consonant. It's noise, right? Mm. So, and this is why Italian is very sing-songy because it's so many a vowels. Uh, you know, that's like mm. the, the, yes. the stereotypical mm. accent 
the formula to do a stereotypical Italian accent is to add a vowel to the end of every uh, word, uh, right? <laughs> you know, so it is, and, uh, but it's interesting. It's, uh, uh, and then getting back to your point about Irish, um, one of my favorite things in music uh, as a composer is setting words to music, like the classical song form mm -hmm. where you would take a poem and uh and set it to music and in the in the in you know a very pretentious classical music snob would would get very particular about a song is features singing where a piece is instrumental right but in the popular parlance people just call everything a song um, yeah. but but in the traditional or in the classical song form uh um a composition would be really judged uh in terms of its success of artistic integrity or whatever you want to call it mm. uh, on its, uh, on something called prosody, um, which mm. is a term that's also found in like linguistics and. Yeah. And Joyce and that. there's a lot yeah. of, and, and but in, his way, of course. right. Yeah, exactly. Well, mm -hmm. which is, it's just a very musical, mm. you know, it was always meant to be read yes. out loud Finnegan's way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in, in, in music prosody is the, is when you set words to music in a way that, that preserve the the natural inflection and the contour of how those words are meant to be spoken mm -hmm. with the goal being that for the clarity, like, so you want to still be able to hear the content of the text, mm -hmm. even at once it's been set to, to music, mm -hmm. once it's being sung because, mm -hmm. and bad prosody means that I don't know what your lyrics are. I can't hear them in the music. So yeah. Uh, and then, but, but is, but is your good prosody also pleasant and pleasing melodically, you know? So mm -hmm. this very delicate balance, um, is really is, is to me is always a great challenge. Uh, and, uh, it just, you know, when you were talking about this kind of way of speaking mm -hmm. and, and, and talk and just contours and stuff like that, it's just something I thought of. And it was just a kind of a point. There's a, yeah, there's a few, there's a number of things I thought about there. But just to, uh, as far as I remember, a bit of a poem from the Irish language. Mm. And again, there's different things. Vi fwynaf sestirum a eilig a rare, a rare iha nullig na mon, a honig os galtoc ir gultata lastir dan reis a skriok triad an sperling on galt, gor gius gati corsen mor guglok geig, or vur elant lydonach mor horov. So it's a, you, you can wow. see in that one, there's a kind of the sounds sound a bit more guttural in the yes. particular element, but uh, the, the the overall music of it is, you know, it, it's quite different in in its in in its tone. That was a, that was a a poem about a vision on on the feast of the Epiphany, which was mm. um, Little Christmas or Women's Christmas. It was it was an and he's, he's having a uh, the, the, it says there was. There was strength in the storm that escaped last night from uh, from the madhouse on the other side of the moon. It goes on. So an interesting wow. kind of surrealist uh, yeah. poem. But uh, when you were talking about your daughter, I was thinking about my experience um, because I decided that I, I, I was just going to talk uh, English to my daughters brought up in Sweden because there's no point in me speaking Swedish to them. You know, uh, I, I didn't think uh, because sometimes people use that as a context to improve, the, you know, the, the, I, I thought it was better 
their mother spoke Swedish and I spoke English, so they'd be properly bilingual. Mm-hmm. So it's it's quite amazing that you get a lot of people say, oh, and I did at the start, why would you speak English to them? Because they'll be confused. This 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 is a you. I don't know if you encountered this. There's a number of people, and I I got that in a number of different That's places. Surprising. Yeah, I, I was surprised as well. But but surely they'd be confused. This is a, a this is a popular kind of prejudice from people that usually don't have any experience of it. Yeah, must language. not, exactly. Yeah, no. But also, as you know, that the time for learning the language is between zero and three years of age, right. and your capacity to learn language goes down after that. It's, re- it's remarkable. Yeah. And uh, if you want to, if one wants to be genuinely bilingual, that's when you want to hear it exactly. at, at that age. And exactly. then at that stage, you get the physiological change in the brain which creates this, this dual pattern. Because as you know, a bilingual child doesn't translate. They, they go from one mode right. to another. Right. Uh, and, and I had noticed that with my friends in Spain. I was remarkable when, when, I, when I had seen, uh, when he had his kids here, when I was teaching over there. And hmm. that, I, I saw that, that, the difference between a learned language and a, 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 a language comprehended, which is in, inscribed into, into your Acquired being. Acquired language, language, I guess. Yeah. And also, yeah. when the brain changed, every, everyone was a bilingual in, in Ireland. If you go back, like, and when I see all of them going back to my grandmother's time and great-grandparents, mm-hmm. they're all bilingual, English and Irish. And that also changes your brain. It also, in, in some way, must make your brain a little more amphibious, that you can... You can change state, and yeah. you can you can alter your fundamental communication, and approach it in a different way with a different ethos and a different. Uh, uh, I, I think it's a it's a very useful, useful uh, thing. Yeah. No, I, I have heard no. actually. Sorry, go ahead. If you were going to, I was going to ask you a question, but but make your. Uh, oh yeah, I was just well. I've I've heard that. Um, uh, I mean, raising my daughter bilingual was a major goal of mine. Uh, as an American, I'm a monolingual and regrettably missed a great opportunity to learn Spanish growing up in Texas. Uh, I do know some Italian, but yeah, yeah. but it's also I've heard uh, it, it really um, creates a great foundation for uh, empathy uh, because of the awareness, this kind of intrinsic awareness that a bilingual person has of uh when they're literally just in a room with people who speak different languages, there's this kind of uh, almost unconscious awareness of needing and, and being able, like watching my daughter be able to just shift from one, like you said, kind of amphibious yes. to, to mm. go in and out of water. So to, to, mm. to run with that metaphor. Mm. Um, and it's, it is, it's like you said, it's not translating. It's just, mm. it's, it's different mm. states. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, no, I, um, uh, I'm, I find that whole thing fascinating, and just like I was saying, observing the development of these two very different languages. And automaticity, I suppose, exactly. is, the, is the consequence, yes. or the, the yes. beneficial element of automaticity. Which, again, mm-hmm. automaticity is not a bad thing, and particularly in its natural sense. But th- this is a failure—a failure of the idea that the mechanical is always better than the organic. And this is a fundamental assumption uh, in relation to the mechanization, the automation bit, that uh, people that believe in in a heightened automaticity fail to see that 
organic automaticity in uh, in in nature and the benefits of that or the the benefits of adhering to that or the benefits of of understanding standing that and for example um although i'm i'm critical of a lot of technology not per se but in in the sense that it's not optimum technology and and if you look at people like uh what's his name Schoenberger Schauberger Victor Schauberger mm. he was the the chap that studied water and began to uh understand the mechanics and the nature of water uh, mm. he also sought to develop flying saucers uh, it, it, was, it was during the, the the second world war actually hitler brought him in he, he wasn't a, he wasn't a nazi but he, he worked in the in 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 the uh, he, he he was forced to do projects developing flying saucers but his he was a forester originally and he began to study the nature of water and he was the one that developed this flume for transporting logs and uh in that work he was he was he, he was trying to explain things about why how fish could move upstream for example mm-hmm. what was the mechanism that allowed uh, fish move upstream and it led him to a complex comprehension of the complexity of water and how water had to be a, it was a living thing uh, and, and the difference between oxygenated water and non-oxygenated water and the diff- uh, and how you would apply these this logic towards the movement of the danube for example if you wanted to stop flooding you had to appreciate the flow and the rhythm uh, within the water to in the meandering which again is 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 uh, and you use the word about the musical stream of consciousness mm. uh, there is in that sense an effort to find something that's there already to find a stream yes. a movement a fluidity that's there already so and this is what cs lewis drew a distinction he said that in the past the Tao, as he described it, to refer to the perennial philosophy, that understanding the Tao was where humankind sought to adapt itself to what was there and to understand it, to comprehend it. And modern man, modern humans, want to adapt the outside to it. And he he believed that that was the, the fundamental flaw that would lead to the abolition of uh of of man so but again it, it's the issue of fluidity movement understanding movement and understanding uh what's involved in the and the complexity of that uh in in, in the and the last point on that is i i did write i, I i'm not music it's not that i'm not musical but i never i was never educated in music so mm-hmm. i can't speak intelligently about the the although all my daughters play instruments so i've spent a lot of time uh, listening to them and, and, and certainly encouraging them but i've been very interested in songs and ballads uh i wouldn't uh, uh, i don't think my sisters appreciate my singing i don't think, even think my daughters appreciate my singing uh but i enjoy them but but i did use i did write lyrics for hmm. bands in dublin uh, oh, or, cool. uh, a band in particular um, and i enjoy that and 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 those issues and, and I tended to write the lyrics and they interpreted or they put the music to sure. it, um, which again is an interesting process that synergy 
Absolutely. where you where, where where they engage in those issues that you've talked about prosody and 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 uh and interpretation and 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 uh, the marriage of, of the two things i i did find that interesting but and the last point is that it struck me uh, a couple of years ago as i was going through various mystical things i could hear the music and yeah. i realized that I, I i didn't want to hear the music i have enough things to be de- dealing with that it's not for me to do that but i, I could hear and, and, and there was a bit of a sense in some of these things uh, i want a bit of quiet there's a lot of people want sensation and they want yeah. a whole lot of feeling it's not a particular thing that suits me so i can hear it but i don't want to to go to, towards that thing because it's a thing that i wouldn't be able to to do or to do justice to i want to more to learn from what musicians learn when they go through the process about not not about how you do something but what's the deeper message those higher issues that that come about about the nature of sound the the clues that it gives us and, and that's why i i've become interested in learning about about music at a different level or approaching it again <laughs>